So I'm here to talk about the church transition plan. Um, and, you know, I'll take us back about two years ago. And I remember when, um, when Curtis announced that he was going to leave me. Uh, leave us, sorry. <laughs> I remember when... Yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember when Curtis says he, he was going to uh, leave us. And then I also remember Ben announced that he was going to leave at nearly the exact same time. And I remember feeling so discouraged um, at that point. And I remember thinking, like, hey, maybe, maybe this is it for Harvest. Like, you know, maybe we can't go on. But that was a very brief moment in time. And, um, and as I looked at the, the people in our church family, I, I couldn't bear the fact that, that we wouldn't keep going. And so um, as we prayed, I really, felt, um, I really felt like God moving in my heart to say, like, no, like, the church isn't just about Curtis. It's not just about Ben. It's, um, it's about God, and God is the one that maintains our family here. And so um, we just decided um, to continue uh, forward and, and see where God leads us. And, and it's, been a, it's been a long two years for uh, many people I know, um, kind of just wondering the direction of our church. And um, we've been through a lot of um, things, like looking back at our past, um, everyone remembers the journey wall and all the, all the great memories that have been formed here of our Harvest family. Um, so so it's, it's been um, great to reflect back on who we were, and it's also uh, been great to reflect on, on where we're going. And um, I think Pastor Gary today will uh, talk about the mission statement. Um, but so the, our next steps now that we kind of know where we're going is um, to call in a, a new senior pastor. Um, and so we're forming a, a committee right now. Um, the committee will be made up of all the elders. Um, two of the deacons, which are Anthony and Solomon, and then two members at large, which um, I'll, I'll tell, you, tell you guys about later. But um, we'll go through a whole process of, um, that'll be, um, it, it'll be a little bit long, to be honest with you, because we want to make sure that we call the right person the one that God has for us. It may not be the obvious one, the one who stands ahead above the rest of them and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it, it may not be the most obvious one, but at the same time, we want to seek the one that God has for us. Um, and so this process will be bathed in prayer. We'll have a time where um, we receive candidates, um, whether in the form of resumes or um, phone calls. We'll, um, we'll, we'll find some people to, um, some of those people to talk to individually. And then, um, and then we'll, we'll have the committee um, convene and we'll pray over these people. And it'll be a, a really, really strong process. Um, so if you have any further questions, you can um, talk to me after service or um, anytime during the week. Um, I'm available to answer any questions, as well as any of the elders or deacons. Thanks. Yeah, this will be uh, part one, two parts. So there'll be a little bit different overlap, and I'll say uh, something today, at least the Lord willing, I'll say something today that's decent, and then um, we'll amplify it and expand uh, kind of the same thing a little bit next week, but it'll be two different messages, just uh, different uh, emphases, so to speak. Um, our mission statement is to glorify God by loving Christ and those whom Christ loves. So the mission statement is all about love, all about love first for the Lord, 
And then if we love the Lord correctly, then of course we will love one another correctly. So this is kind of where we're going and I'll spend a couple of weeks on it and uh, Lord willing, we'll understand it, embrace it and go on from there. You know, a few years ago, <clears throat> there was a, a one question survey taken among former churchgoers. And the question was this, under what circumstances would you attend church again? And there were obviously a number of different answers, but there was one that stood out as dominant. Most of the people went there. And it was this, I'd come back to church if I could experience God in a deep and profound way. And I think they nailed it. You know, when we talk about glorifying God, we're really entering into a theme uh, of all Christian experience. In Exodus chapter 33, the children of Israel are in the midst of a 40-year journey from Egypt to the promised land of Israel. Uh, why in the world would it take 40 years to cover that much turf? Well, uh, it's really about a, a 10 days to two-week walk. And the reason that they were walking in the Sinai Peninsula for 40 years on their way to, to Israel is simply because there was an older believing generation that uh, did not really... Uh, they did not believe that God would go before them. They didn't believe that God would conquer their enemies and enable them to possess the land. And therefore, God says, okay, you're going to walk in circles in the Sinai Peninsula until the entire generation of you has died off, and then we'll take the next generation and following into the promised land. And uh, at this point, Moses was in Sinai, it was on Mount Sinai, as a matter of fact, receiving the law of God, you know, the Ten Commandments. And if you've ever seen the old movie Ten Commandments, the Israelites were down at the foot of the mountain creating the calf, which really the, the golden calf that they were constructing was kind of their way of getting back in touch with the pagan gods of Egypt, where they spent 400 years there as well. Now, God reacts uh, to their idolatry in constructing this calf, and he promises judgment. But then, interestingly enough, God backs off when Moses intercedes and pleads to God on the behalf of the people. And so God says, all right, I'll withhold the judgment, but I'm going to make a concessionary offer. He says, the intimate relationship between you and me, God says, just isn't working. You keep trampling on it. And so he says, this is the deal. I'll send an angel to protect you. I'll give you the homeland that I promised you. I'll drive out the enemy that would oppress you. You'll enter the land and your lives will flow with material abundance and then he adds the clincher, but my presence isn't going to go with you. Now, without being too tongue-in-cheek, what God was offering was the kind of religion that most Americans want. 
Uh, we want to have peace and prosperity without allegiance, without devotion. Uh, we want health and happiness without worship and confession. Now Moses will have none of it. And he says, God, if your presence isn't going to go with us, then we're not interested in going into the promised land. We'd rather die in the desert. Now Moses was tough. And when it comes to conviction, uh, this man, this leader was 80% backbone and probably the rest was gristle. He hung on to stuff. He was right. He was right on. He was a tremendous leader. Now here's the spiritual lesson that comes out of that. Even with the promise of earthly prosperity, your life and my life is meaningless without the presence of God. Doesn't matter how successful we are, what we do, the experiences we enjoy, <clears throat> unless we're tied in with the presence of God, it doesn't mean anything. And uh, that propositional statement is absolutely unarguable. Now, there's a couple of implications I put on your bulletin outlines there that come out of this thing, and I want to just share them with you. The first one is that our God, <clears throat> the God that we worship, the God of the Bible, is glorious. Now, uh, Jesus, uh, you know, spent 30 years here on earth prior to entering into a three-year ministry. And I would suspect that Jesus did hundreds of miracles during that three-year ministry. Thirty-five of them, however, are recorded in the gospel accounts. And the miracles are called signs. And signs happen to be labels. For instance, um, I can't tell you how many times in the 25 years or so that I've been living in Woodbridge, not hardly any distance at all from this place, that I've driven down Lake and I've seen this white nondescript building here and I wonder what in the world goes on in this place, you know? And then I saw a little senior center and I still wonder what goes on here? <laughs> and every Sunday now we have a tiny little sign out front, uh, two of them actually, one says Exodus and one says Har Harvest. And if you see those signs, you realize that uh, there are a couple of churches that are in this building. Uh, and each Sunday, uh, people come to worship. They come to investigate the God of the Bible. And the God that we come to investigate is a miracle-working God. And the miracles of Jesus are simply signs that reveal who he is. They're calling cards, letting the human race know that Jesus is a people-loving, grace-giving, miracle-working God of glory. Now, there's an amazing con uh, combination of attributes that define our Lord. There's tenderness without weakness, humility without self-consciousness, power without harshness, integrity without rigidity, holiness without distance. And it's through all of these attributes that you and I see the glory of God. 
Uh, the word glory simply means weighty, and I've shared that with you before. It, uh, it ha carries the idea of having substance. It matters. It's consequential. It's substantive. Something that's glorious is incredibly uh, eye-dropping, so to speak. Uh, just, you, you just see what's going on. The, the actual, when, when you, for instance... Uh, I've been to Yosemite National Park, I'm sorry to admit this, one time in my entire life, a number of years ago. And I remember Suzanne, who had just been there a little bit earlier for the first time, and she was trying to explain to me what I was going to see when we entered the valley. And she was talking and talking, and I says, honey, I think I got this now. I, I think, I think... You know, I understand what you're going, what, what, what's there. And uh, when we finally drove through that final tunnel and entered into the opening, and it had been a rainy season and the, the falls were coming, and I saw El Capitan and that, that glorious huge amount of granite and half dome, I literally wept. And I'm not a crier. I'm a man. I don't cry, <laughs> you know. I, I, I seldom ever cry, and I just could not control it. I, I saw that, and I thought, oh, my goodness, how glorious is it? It had weight. It had matter. And that's what glory is. Now, you would never walk out in your backyard and see a little mound of dirt created by a gopher. And look at that little mound of dirt here. It says, my, isn't that glorious? The reason is because it doesn't have any matter. It's not substantive. It, you know, it, it just doesn't have it. And so when we talk about the glory of God, it simply means he's weighty. He's weighty in, in, our, in our hearts, in our minds. He matters. Uh, you know, when you apply the term glory to a person, what we're saying is, is that person matters. That person is weighty. That person is substantial, substantive. Uh, that person is created in the image of God, and that person is glorious. And every time we walk in here and we see one another. Every time we meet somebody along the street, that is the most glorious individual. That is the most glorious thing you're looking at that you can possibly see on earth short of God himself. So when we talk about God being full of glory, he's weighty, he matters, he's substantial. When we talk about a glorious youth group full of glorious people. What we're saying is each one of those individuals in the youth group is weighty. They matter. They're substantial. They're consequential. And therefore, we treat them with, with careful tenderness. And we do that with one another just simply because of the way in which God made us. Uh, God's glory is inherent. Our glory is simply given, and it's given by God because he made us into his image. Now, without that conduit, uh, from God to humanity, none of us would be glorious. 
Now, you might say, well, Gary, man, sometimes I don't feel very glorious. Sometimes I'm treated as if I'm not at all glorious. And I understand that. I've been there. So has everybody in this room been there. It's hellish to feel insignificant. You find yourself in a particular group and they pay no attention to you. They treat you as if you're not there. That is hellish. It's, you just feel so inconsequential. But as a church, as a body of Christians committed to the glory of God, saying God is weighty, God matters, we can correct that. You see, we remind each other. You know, part of just being an assembly is reminding each other by the way that we talk, by the way that we listen, by the way that we focus, by the way in which we honor one another, that each person we meet, uh, including the little ones, and maybe especially those little ones in promised land that are over there right now, they're all glorious people because they're made in the image of God. Uh, but we often miss it. So I'm going to ask you to do something because you're going to forget this sermon and I'll say some of the same things next week in a whole different thing. But I, I just want us to do a little bit of an object thing here. I want you to stand. Will you do that for just a moment? And here's what I would... Let me get up so you can see. Here's what I'd like you to do. Spend about, at most, 30 seconds. But I'd like you to just... Walk around, shake hands with four or five different people, look at them right in the eye, and say, you are glorious, you matter. And then when it's all over, then you can sit down, okay? I'll tell you, you got about 30 seconds, four or five people, go, okay? You are glorious, brother, you matter. You are glorious, you matter. And you are glorious, and you matter. Hey, Steve. You are glorious. You are glorious. You matter. Okay. And you, my dear, are glorious, and you matter. You are glorious as well, and you uh -huh. matter. Okay. Hey, you are glorious, and you matter. God bless you. All right. All right. I want to thank you for doing that. You know, think about it. You know, a lot of you are going down to Honduras not too long from now. What do those people need to do? Uh, what do you need to do to, to communicate that they matter? You, you just go down there and you just love on them. And that, that's what you do when you run into people, because that, uh, other than the God of glory, is the most glorious thing to your own eyesight that you've seen in the course of that day. Can you imagine if every man, every woman, every youth, every child that walked in here, each Sunday was reminded just how glorious, how important, how much they matter, they really are. Because a lot of times we go through and disappointment hounds us and we feel from we don't matter. You know, Anne Rand, uh, she was born in 1906. She's long gone. She wrote Fountainhead. She wrote Atlas Shrugged. By the way, who is John Galt? You don't find out until a thousand pages later in that particular novel. But nevertheless, she said this, 
human beings are nothing but a cosmic accident. And I don't even know what that means, or how, yeah, what, you, what do you call a cosmic accident of some kind. You see, if that's true, if she's right, if it's true, then the idea of humankind being heroic, being glorious, is without any substance whatsoever. So the first implication is that God is glorious, and our glorious God went public and endowed glory by making us in his image so that we ourselves can be glorious. Let me give you a second implication. And that is that the followers of God are to reflect God's glorious nature. And that's what makes our character beautiful if we do that. You know, we're billboards. Uh, we remind the world by the way that we communicate, by the way that we care, by the way in which we offer attention, of the beauty of his character. Now, there are lots of people today, perhaps the majority, that want to be noticed, that want others to glorify them. Christ followers, however, look at it a little bit differently. We realize that whatever good exists in us is reflective of the glory that God has given to us, given to you, given to me. And when we know that we're glorious, when we know that what God thinks about us, we no longer have to go through life looking for strokes. We can just be ourselves and invest in other people because God has filled us up with everything we possibly need to feel good about ourselves, even in the midst of the sinful world in which we live. So we're sponges. We're not, I shouldn't say it. We're, we're not sponges. We're mirrors. We don't soak up glory by elevating ourselves. What we do is we reflect glory of the beautiful God that lives within us. You know, we have different gifts. We have different levels of responsibility within the church itself. But we don't have a pecking order. And that's the beautiful thing about the church of Jesus Christ. We all have gifts. We all do certain things. Some are public. Some are behind the scenes. Everything matters. But, you know, we don't have a pecking order. We're all at the same level, ground level, with infinite glories given to us by the God of heaven. So that's why we can cultivate a community. Uh, because we don't stratify. Uh, we just embrace one another. Those with hang-ups, those without hang-ups, those who are rich, those who are poor. It doesn't matter. Because we're all on that same level playing field for eternity. Now, to give your life to the glory of the Lord, you know, magnifying the Lord, let him know, God, you're weighty, you're substantial, you're consequential, uh, to the infinite degree, uh, to give your life to the Lord is the only thing that's bigger than you are. So if you give your life to something that's less than you are, then you're making a mistake. You give your heart to something that's greater than you are, and the only thing that's really greater than you is the Lord. I mean, we are at the top of the food chain, the top of the apex, with God just being higher. He's the only one that's higher than we are. So again, we have different gifts. We have different abilities. We have different levels of spiritual maturity but it allows us to create a community and cultivate a community 
just simply because of who we are in Jesus Christ. So to give your life to the glory of the Lord is to give your life to the only thing that's bigger than you are, that's more substantive than you, that's more important than you. And when that happens, your life is expanded, not contracted. Now let me offer a couple of specifics of how we can reflect God's glorious nature. First, we remind God that he matters to us, and we do it continually, and we do it through our worship, through our Bible reading, through our devotional time. We just remind God, God, you matter to me more than anything else. You know, when we gather, to, we, we, we gather together as a church, we lift up his sovereignty. We magnify God's holiness. We acknowledge his justice. We thank him for his goodness, his guidance, his provision, his comfort. We bask in the glory of his love, his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness. You see, before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And many of you remember that very solemn time when he was there and God was revealing to him what was in the cup that he was going to be drinking, and that was the cup of God's wrath that was going to be poured out on his only begotten son so that he wouldn't have to pour it out on you and me. And Jesus realized exactly what his mission was, and he realized that he was, if he drank that cup, he was literally going to go to hell the next day when he died on that cross so that you and I would not have to. And that's the kind of God that we have. And so we thank God for who he is and all that he has done for us. You see, before, on earth, one of the things about Jesus on earth is that his glory was veiled. He was a human being. Naturally, it's going to be veiled. but because his glory was veiled, he was often treated by people as being insignificant, kind of the way in which we can normally treat other people. And there were times when Jesus was scorned, when he was rejected. But, you know, on the cross, on the cross, Jesus' glory wasn't veiled any longer. It was totally removed. The Father turned away from the Son, Simply because the father was perfect and he couldn't look at his own son when he was dying for your sin and my sin simply because God doesn't look on sin. So he turned away from his own son. And Jesus got exactly what we deserved. Utter weightlessness. Utter utter insignificance. Utter inconsequentiality. In other words, he just didn't matter. And the acid of all that hell all that rejection, all that inconsequentially poured into his heart and he exploded in despair when he let out that guttural cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in reality, he knew God forsook the son so that he wouldn't have to forsake you and me. He was cast out, completely ignored. You see, the cross is where the justice of God And the grace of God collide. And at the cross, we see the depth of our sin, and we also see the magnitude of God's love. Now, how can we, 
as followers of Christ, when we begin to understand exactly what the atoning death meant, how can we possibly not be drawn like a magnet and be compelled to worship that kind of a giving God? So, first of all, we remind God that he matters to us simply by our worshiping him. Second thing is that uh, we reflect God's glory by reminding one another, by reminding others outside this building that they, in fact, matter to God. You see, in his prayer to the Father, Jesus says, Father, as you sent me into the world, I also am sending them into the world. And that was a reference to his people, predominantly at the time, specifically to his disciples, but to his people as well. This would be you. This would be me. And this is not just a reference, you know, again, it's not just the 12. It, it's all of us. We're sent into the world of our community. This is where we live. This is our world here. We're sent into our community in order to enable people, uh, to, to, in order to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ, I should say, as he is revealed in the Bible. So in the truest sense, we're like an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me illustrate, because ambassadors are just one of my favorite terms about the people of God. And let me do it actually here for a moment. You know, I, as you well know, I have kind of a, a ministry and I've had that for the past 30 so, or th so years uh, in South Asia and predominantly India. But in, if you go to India, the capital city is Delhi and there's over 20 million people that live in that massive city. And uh, there's a lot of wealth in Delhi. Um, and but there's an exclusive part of town where foreign ambassadors live. Uh, they come from countries all over Asia, parts of Europe, the United States, and so forth. And the foreign ambassadors, they live in that area. And one of the responsibilities of an ambassador is simply to dispel the stereotypes and portray their own homeland in a very truthful, honest way to the people, to the Indian people. In other words, and what we are is we're sent as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. This is our world in which we live. And what we do is we dispel all the stereotypes that people have about the God of the Bible and, and, and put him in the right kind of light. Uh, so Jesus... You know, we, we're not imperialists. We don't want to conquer everything. We're not destroyers of culture. We're simply carrying a message of eternal life through the suffering and the death of our Lord Christ. You see, if the world is dying in sin, and if the Christian message of the gospel is the antidote for that grave condition, then mission makes logical sense. If people need truth and you possess truth, then to love them is to communicate that truth. So our mission on earth is simply grounded in truth and in love. If you have truth but no love, you have no mission. If you have love but no truth, you don't have mission. So mission is the synergy 
of truth and love coming together with the intent of sharing Jesus Christ with the culture in which we live. And once you've tasted the living water of Jesus Christ that springs up unto eternal life, we can never again say our religion is a private thing. It's never been that way. You know, we live in a dynamic culture. And uh, therefore, we need to keep in mind that followers of God may not necessarily be able to communicate the message in a way in which we used to be able to do. Times have changed. The world is more secular. Truth, according to many, is relative. And therefore, we communicate biblical truth. Not so. It, it's not quite as accepted in a propositional way that it used to be. So it needs to be backed by a life of demonstrative love for others if we communicate. See, in communicating the gospel, we avoid the tribal language of Christian culture. We avoid the jargon of disdainful jokes that mock the different forms of belief. We simply... We simply speak out of an attitude of love and generosity to those people that are willing to listen to us. You know, postmoderns today are deeply skeptical of artifice, of image, and they're skilled at deconstructing style. They demand transparency. They demand authenticity. And that's only fair. You see, our lives cannot be remote, we cannot be antiseptic, we have to be willing to get involved with the messiness of people because life-changing reality is always going to be socially constructed. So our mission is to glorify God by loving Christ and loving those whom he loves. Now we're going to pick it up Again next week, same time, same place, and uh, we'll wrap it up, and we'll see you then, all right? Father, thank you for reminding us what the chief end of humankind is, and that is to glorify God and love him forever. And uh, we thank you, Lord, uh, that it's uh, a mission of love, and we don't need to be sorry about it. We don't need to be embarrassed by it. It's just the reality that somehow, by God's grace, we know something about the good news, have embraced it, and belong in Christ's family. And Lord, uh, help us to be... Uh, consequential people in the lives of others as well. And may we, by our grace, by our friendliness, by our smiles, by our concern, by our material help, by whatever it takes, Father, may we be ready when you give us opportunity to just share something about the great God that we love, that we adore, and that we worship. And Father, may you use these opportunities that we have and uh, even the uh, reminders that we, uh, we get, uh, Father, to sharpen our own lives and remember that uh, 
We're here to love other people, not just erect a monument to ourselves or to our church, but to spread the good news abroad. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.